Hi, this is Cindy Godwin, pastor of Summit Church, and this is our chosen podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope that it helps build up your faith and remind you that God has chosen you and set you apart for His purpose. Enjoy the message. So today, actually, I'm going to start by saying what we're going to do next week, because I am going to talk about, does God hear us? Why am I opening my Bible? Um, does God hear us? Because so many, so many people are still in a state of, God, are you even hearing me? And I need to know you're hearing me, and I need to see the answers to my prayers. And so we're going to activate the faith to know that he's hearing us. And activate that faith to see accelerated answers to our prayers, okay? So you don't want to miss that. So let's begin today. I'm going to be talking about a life worth living. And one scripture that's really important to me, and, this, and God has promised it to me. This is one of my life verses. It's Proverbs 3, 1 through 4. So I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Classic. My son or my daughter, forget not my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now, what happens when our heart keeps his commandments? Now, remember, in the new covenant, there's only one commandment. Somebody sent me a clip this morning from, I don't know, it was some movie that, it wasn't uh, Charlton Heston, but it was a really good actor. And in this clip, Moses had come down from the mountain, and he's carrying the two tablets, and I was kind of laughing because you could tell the tablets weighed this what this paper weighs. <laughs> and I wrote back and I said, did you realize that those tablets were approximately 115 pounds? So Moses was buff. <laughs> he was no wimp. And he was what we would call old, not what the Bible would call old, but what he would, we would call old at the time. And yet he comes down from Mount Sinai carrying 115 pounds, and I, I studied it, and in the Talmud, they were sapphire. It wasn't a piece of rock. It was actually sapphire with the commandments engraved in it. How beautiful would that be? And so Proverbs 3 says, don't forget, but let your heart keep my commandments. And the one commandment in the new covenant is the commandment of love. You know why? Because if you keep the commandment of love, you will not have false gods. You will not take the name of the Lord in vain. You will remember the day of rest to keep it holy. Everybody should have a day of rest. If God rested, then who do we think we are? If we walk in love, we're honoring your mother and father for the one, as the ones who gave you life. It might not be for the way they live, but they gave you life. You were not destroyed at the hands of an abortionist you were born so you honor your mother and your father because they gave you life you're not going to murder anybody the actual word is not thou shall not kill it's you shall not murder you won't commit adultery not if you're walking in love you're not going to steal you're not going to bear false witness you're not going to covet your neighbor's wife or their goods because love doesn't do those things so see it's all wrapped up in love Verse 2, 4, and this is what I love. Length of days and years of a life worth living. 
How many of you want to live a life worth living? I do. What's the use of the mundane? So God promises length of days and years of a life worth living and tranquility. Oh, I love that. Inward and outward and continuing through old age until death. Be shall add to you. I mean, this is just really cool. I can live a life worth living. I can have tranquility in my heart and in my, my body, outward, inward and outward, and in my atmosphere until the day I die. It doesn't say these shall multiply to you because if it was multiplied to you, then you would live to be a thousand. And we know that's not going to happen. Verse three, let not mercy and kindness shutting out all hatred and selfishness and truth shutting out all deliberate hypocrisy or falsehood forsake you. Bind them about your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so shall you find favor, good understanding, and high esteem in the sight of God and man. So right there it tells you how to live a life worth living. You walk in the law of love. You do not let mercy and kindness, kind in the, in the New Testament is usefulness, helpfulness. It doesn't mean I'm just so sweet that it puckers you. And it's great to be sweet. I mean, when people tell me you're so sweet, I'm like, believe me, I'm not sweet. I know sweet people and I love it. I think it's precious, but that's not what kindness is. Kindness is usefulness, helpfulness. I'm, I'm ready to serve. I can look in this room and point out so many kind people. So you don't let that leave you. You don't let truth, which is the word of God, forsake you. You're not going to lie. In the Bible, the neck represents your will, which is why the word says not to stiffen your neck. So you yield your will to the Lord. And when you do these things, the favor of God is on your life. And so I just want to go through a scripture that I have endeavored to live by. And I'm here to tell you something today. You don't have to go to the woodshed to be corrected by the Lord. You can let, I told you, I'm going to start bringing my Bible. You can let this book be your personal trainer. This book is my personal trainer. And the only thing it costs you is the price of the book. And that is monetarily. And if you don't have a Bible, you let me know, I'll get you one. And I'm not kidding. It's fine to use your devices. And I use my, my phone and iPad and all that. That's fine. But I just do not believe it replaces the effort it takes to get this book and actually exercise, turn the pages, and just see it very clearly. And you, you don't even have to have glasses that block the blue light, whatever that is. I don't even know what that is. I don't see blue when I turn on my, but whatever. So I chose from the time I was born again to let the word be my personal trainer, and I haven't stopped, and I'm going on 50 years. Not 50 years old, but 50 years of walking with the Lord. And so I'm not going to give my testimony. Most of you know my testimony. I got born again. I gave my heart to Jesus by reading the word of God. This is how I know this, this book is alive. It's not just a leather cover and crispy pages with words. It is actually alive because the word of God is Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was so in the beginning. 
He is the word. The word has superhuman power. It has the power to deliver you. It has the power to heal you. It has the power to prosper you. It has the power, we were just singing about a sound mind, to give you a sound mind. It has the power to deliver you from fear and depression and anxiety and anything else you're struggling with. And before I go further, I, I need to give a word to somebody. I have no idea who it's for. But recently I had an experience where I saw somebody... Uh, drastically misbehave. It was an adult. It wasn't a, a child. Thank God I'm finished with that stage. And when my grandkids act up, I just think it's cute. I think it's the cutest thing. I love it. I laugh. And I get very dirty looks from the parents. But I, you know what? House of yes. But I saw an adult really act up and do something very, very distasteful. And I prayed about it because it stayed with me for a couple of days. I thought, you know, that was just so wrong, what I saw. And so I said, Lord, could I go to that person? And I clearly heard Matthew 18. It said the king went to settle accounts. And what I want to say to you, to somebody in here, or maybe lots of people, I have no idea, is it's okay to settle accounts as long as you don't harbor anything in your heart. It's the way you do it. So if you need to settle accounts with somebody, do it in a spirit of love and grace. And so I did. I went to that person. I was very careful about my approach. I didn't attack. I didn't accuse. I didn't condemn. I just simply appealed to them to make another person whole. And what would it take to make them whole? Because you know, in the Bible, even in the Old Covenant, if you leave a person broken... You have a spiritual responsibility to make that person whole. So somebody in here needs to hear that, so you just take it. So I gave my heart to the Lord in 1974 by reading this book. It is alive. It is powerful. Hebrews 4.12, the, the word that God speaks is alive. It is full of power. It is active, operative, energizing, effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. I think the message says it's like a surgeon's scalpel. So yeah, you could go to psychiatrists, you could go to therapists and all those things, and hey, bless you if you do. But I'm just telling you, there is nothing more powerful than the word of God to be your therapist. Nothing more powerful, and I hope if you go, you go to a Christian that will lead you in the word and get godly counsel. There are seven ways God guides. Rick wrote a book called Flying Higher. I don't know if we still have any copies, but we did. And in this book, he gives us seven ways God guides. And the Bible says on the testimony of two or three, let a thing be established. So you need two to three witnesses. If you want to know you're hearing God and you need a confirmation, you need two to three witnesses. And one of the seven is godly counsel. I can tell you what you want to know all seven, don't you? All right. Let's see if I can remember. All right, if I leave off one, then somebody shout out. Peace, inner witness, scriptural confirmation, prophetic confirmation, godly counsel, circumstances and provision. I did it, seven. There you go. For example, if you uh, feel like you're supposed to go someplace, and you ask the Lord about it. Well, one of your confirmations might be provision because where God guides, he provides. 
So if you feel like God's telling you to go someplace and you're, you have zero money, then you need to ask the Lord for provision. I can give you so many examples, but we don't have time. And so it says that this scalpel is sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates the dividing line of your soul and your spirit, your joints and marrow. It will expose, sift, analyze, and judge the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. And so when I read that, I knew that I could allow the word of God to be my judge. And that Greek word is kritikos. What does it sound like? Critic. I would rather God's word not criticize me, but critique me than man any day. You know why? Because when the Lord corrects you, it's so loving. There are times when the Lord has corrected me that I just laugh. He's so nice. He's so kind. He's so gentle. He doesn't take a sledgehammer and beat you over the head and condemn you. If you're hearing that, you're hearing the accuser of the brethren. The Bible says he's been cast down. So you overcome him by the blood of the lamb. We sang a lot of songs today about the blood of the lamb. You overcome him by the blood of the lamb. You know what the word of my testimony is? The blood. The word of my testimony is I am not guilty. I do not stand accused because of the blood of the lamb. And then you lay down your life. That's how you overcome. So I want to spend most of the rest of the time today on 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, because I'm going to show you how to live a life worth living. And that means you don't, you don't live in a state of accusation, condemnation, of feeling diminished, feeling uh, shamed, feelings of fear and doubt and worthlessness and insignificance. That is not a life worth living. If you feel like the scum of the earth, that God's forgotten you, that the, the promises aren't going to be fulfilled, that is not a life worth living. But God promises a life worth living. And I am determined I'm going to live that life. I'm called to it. You're called to it. You're not called to live like the world lives. That's why I very rarely watch the news reports on TV and, you know, all of the garbage that's going on. That's not a life worth living. But I'll tell you something good. The wolf has taken off sheep's clothing. The dividing line is becoming more clear and more clear. Light and darkness separating. One of the first things God did in, in Genesis 1 is he separated light from darkness. And he's doing it again. And when he separated light from darkness, you're not, he hadn't even created the sun. He didn't do that till the fourth day. But on the second day, I think it was the second day. Do I need to look that up? All right, I can't stand to not be accurate scripturally. I'm going to look it up. Over the face of the earth. Yeah, I was right. He said, well, actually, it was the first day, light from darkness, let there be light. And there was light. And then on the second day, yes, he did. He separated. So, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. I want you to listen carefully. Now, let me just tell you something. The whole first part of 2 Timothy 3 is absolutely alarming. Because Timothy, or Paul is warning Timothy of what's going to happen in the last days. And I, it's too long to read everything, but I just want to give you, and you tell me if this is the last days. Now, he's talking about then. Can you imagine now? You tell me. 
Perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with, hard to bear. People are lovers of self, utterly self-centered, lovers of money, inordinate desires for wealth, proud, arrogant, contemptuous, abusive, blasphemous, scoffy, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, profane. I mean, do you want me to go on? They're treacherous, betrayers, rash, inflated with conceit, lovers of sensual pleasure, vain amusements, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. It just goes on and on and on. It's too depressing to read. Wicked men, imposters, that go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived and leading others astray. So that all leads up to verse 14. And Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, Continue to hold the things you've learned and of which you are convinced, knowing from whom you learned them and how from childhood you've been taught the holy scriptures, which are able to instruct you and give you the understanding of salvation, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And then here is drum roll, verse 16. Every scripture is God breathed. Every scripture has the breath of God on it. And every scripture is profitable. Here you go. For instruction for reproof, for conviction of sin, for correction of error, and discipline and obedience, and training in righteousness, in conformity to God's will, in thought, purpose, and action, so that the man of God may be complete, proficient, well-fitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we're going to go over these four things briefly, and then we'll close. The Bible says every scripture has the breath of God on it. Now, in your breath is your DNA. How do I know that? Well, go breathe on a mirror. What happens? There's mist form. What is that? It's your saliva. Anybody ever done one of those DNA ancestries? There's another one. I don't know what it, I can't remember what it's called. And what do you do? Do you have to prick your finger? No, all you do is swab your mouth. Why? Because your saliva is in your mouth. Your saliva has your DNA. It's not rocket science. Well, it is to figure it out, but to do it isn't. So they, the, the spit of God, his DNA is on every word. He's breathed on it. Why do you think when Jesus spit in the dirt and made mud and put it on the blind man's eyes, how did he get new eyes? had the DNA of Jesus in it. If you need a body part resurrected today, I'm just saying, you just say, breathe on me, breath of God, but the word of God is the breath of God. I think that's very powerful. So it's God breathe, has his DNA, and it's profitable. And the first thing it's profitable for, and this is what we're going to go on, verse 16, is it is profitable for instruction on how to live a life worth living. There's no punishment in it. You can get everything you need out of these next few verses I'm going to give you on how to live a victorious life. I go back to them all the time. Well, first of all, you can go to 1 Corinthians 13 and study what love is. If you just walk in love, you're going to live a life worth living. The other day, my oldest granddaughter was at the house, and, and Papa, Randy, my husband, came home, and and she's going, I love you, Papa. And he's always joking. And he goes, what is love? And I immediately, you know, I'm a smart mouth. I said, love is patient. Love is kind. I start reciting 1 Corinthians 13 because I have to remind myself that love is not a feeling. It is an action verb. 
And it's always so sad to me when I hear of a spouse that says, I don't love you anymore. Because what you're saying is, I live by my emotions. I don't live by the word of God. And I think that's really sad. Now, it doesn't mean that phileo, brotherly love, is not necessary. It is. But, you know, I mean, I'm going on 50 years. Pam, what are you going on, 80 years? How many years have you been married? (laughs) I know how old you are. How long have you been married? Fifty-seven. Anybody? Can anybody top fifty-seven years in here? How long have you been married, Pat? Sixty-seven. Anybody top sixty-seven? Going, going, gone. Congratulations. Have you had to work on it? Absolutely. Every day. So when you say, I don't love you anymore, what does that mean? It means that those skyrockets, you know, that in love. Did you know science has proven that the in love experience lasts two years? <laughs> two years. You've got to get past that. Got to walk in love. And so, but Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. I'm just going to give you two different scriptures that tell you how to live a life worth living. Let all bitterness, indignation, wrath... Bad temper, resentment, and anger, and quarreling, and slander, evil speaking, abusive or blasphemous language, be banished from you. Here you go. With all malice. Did you know malice is the root word of malignant? Spite and ill will or baseness of any kind. That's instruction. The word of God is instructing you. Let these things be banished from you. Don't live with malice. Let all resentment be banished from you. Let anger be banished from you. How do you do that? Holy Spirit, I give you permission to put this to death in me, Romans 8, 13. By the power of the Spirit of God, I'm crucifying that in me. I refuse to walk it out. I refuse to live it out. I refuse to collect the debt. Use your words. Your words command your thoughts. And then it tells you how to live. See, I love Jesus because he doesn't just tell you not what to do. He tells you how to do it. Here you go. And become useful and helpful and kind to one another. Tenderhearted, compassionate, understanding, lovinghearted, forgiving one another readily and freely as God in Christ has forgiven you. Don't live in resentment and ill will and malice, but do live in kindness and tenderheartedness and love. That's instruction. Now, whether you do it or not is up to you. And then this one's my favorite. It's Colossians 3, 12 through 17. I'll just skim over it because it's a long passage. But I'm telling you, this is a passage I go to for instruction. Clothe yourself as those beloved by God by putting on behavior marked by tenderhearted pity and mercy, kindness, a lowly opinion of yourselves, gentle ways and patience. Be gentle, be forbearing. If you have a difference or a grievance or a complaint against someone, pardon them. As the Lord has forgiven you, you forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity or the glue that that causes you to be one. And let the peace from Christ rule in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your mind. The Amplified says, and let the peace from Christ act as umpire 
Now, I've told you before, I've been to many baseball games with grandsons, and I can tell you right now, I disagree with the umpires. If they disagree, if they say anything about my grandsons, 100% of the time. And my daughters have threatened me on many occasions. I was at a baseball game the other day, and my daughter looked at me, she goes, you are such a grandmother. <laughs> but guess what? If I start yelling at the umpire, guess who's going to get kicked out? Me. Because what he says goes. And the Bible says, let peace be your umpire. That's what rules your heart, the peace of God, one of the ways God guides. Let the word spoken by Christ have its home in your heart and mind and dwell in you with all richness and teach and admonish and train one another in all insight and wisdom. Sing and make melody to God with his grace in your hearts and whatever you do in word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and in dependence on his person, giving praise to God the Father through him. What is this? It's instruction. It's telling you how to live a life worth living. The second thing the word does, and now I'm going to give you some examples from my own life, so I'll just go ahead and, and undress in front of you, so to speak. The second thing the Lord does is reprove or rebuke or convict you of sin. So I'll give you a couple of examples from my own life and how to do this. Many, many years ago, these are old examples. Many, many years ago, I knew something was very wrong in my life. I, it just wasn't right. And I kept asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, what is this? I'm, I'm asking your word to correct me, to, to rebuke me. I actually, I needed to go beyond correction. I needed to be rebuked. So Lord, I'm just asking you to use this living and powerful word because I'm, I'm not living in peace. I'm not living a life worth living and to rebuke me. And one night the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he waits till you're ready because your heart has to be willing to receive or you're going to argue and dismiss it. One of the most dangerous things you can do is dismiss the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I heard him say, you're nursing a grudge. And do you know in a moment of time like that, I remembered something that happened to me 10 years before this, 10 years and guess what? Guess who the one that was wronged was? Me. Guess who the one that was betrayed? Me. And this, is, by the way, said nothing to do with my marriage. I'm just going to take that out of your court, okay? I had been betrayed 10 years before. I didn't realize I was nursing a grudge, or I, I wouldn't have. But you know, those things are just so insidious. And I just said, yes, sir. I repent, I'm sorry. Leviticus 19:18, you shall not take revenge or bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's not okay to nurse a grudge. It's not okay to nurse pain and wounds and resentment. That's not okay. It's not okay to nurse fear and worry. It's not okay. I did a whole series. I called it, What Are You Nursing? James 5, 9. This is King James Version. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door, meaning the door of your heart. So see, the word rebuked me. 
That Greek word grudge means to groan within one's self. And that's what I was doing. I was groaning in myself. I knew something was wrong. So don't ignore his voice when something's in you and you just know something's not right. Ask him what? Let the word reprove you. You don't have to go to the woodshed. Or you can just stiffen your neck, your will, and harbor it until it eats you alive. And that's what will happen. The third thing that Paul told Timothy that the word will do, I love this, is correct you. I love correction. I told you this, I've told this story so many times, but I'm going to tell it again. Many years, this is many years ago, I'd say 20 something years ago, I was, uh, I just gotten really annoyed with Randy. And he's not annoying, but I, I had just been really annoyed. And I said something that just, I don't know what, I don't even remember what it was. It just wasn't nice. And he had gone to work and I got on my knees and I was, I said, Lord, I, if I'm wrong, correct me. I love what Joyce Meyer says that in her marriage, this is for you married people. She learned to say, Lord, if it's him, deal with him. If it's me, deal with me. If it's both of us, deal with both of us. I think that's healthy. And so instead of blame, 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 you know, it's so easy to be a blame shifter. Because ultimately, when you blame shift, you're blaming God. And so I, got, I literally got on my knees and I said, Lord, if I'm wrong, show me. And I clearly heard Proverbs 31. She comforts, encourages, and does him only good as long as there's life within her. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, I told you to comfort, encourage, and do him only good, not to correct and reprove him. Uh, Lord, and you know what? I picked up the phone and I immediately repented. I took responsibility and I said I was wrong. And he's always, he's very gracious. You didn't do anything. Well, yes, I did. Let the word be your corrector. Again, many years ago, when I say many years ago, this was 39 years ago. That's a long time ago. Some of you aren't, many of you aren't 39. And I, um, was pregnant with our third child. And the first sonogram, now sonograms were not developed like they are now to the point that they are now. Again, this is 39 years ago. And the first ultrasound was five months pregnant and the lady said I was having a boy. So I thought I was having a boy. I did, I never with my children, never, oh, I've got to have a girl, I've got to have a boy. I was just, Lord, I want a healthy child. And, and I, God granted that to me. I'm grateful. And I was going to name him Joel. Well, this friend of mine, or should I say frenemy, came to me. You know what a frenemy is, right? Yeah. Came to me, and because and, uh, I had said, you know, I'm having a little boy, I'm name, naming him Joel. And she said, no, you're not, because I'm naming my son Joel. She was pregnant also telling you the truth. And of course, my first thought is, and what I wanted to say is, well, you don't own the name. <laughs> but I didn't want strife. And she was very contentious. So I laid it down, picked another name. 
And then right before I had her, I had another sonogram and found out I wasn't having a Joel anyway. <laughs> I was having a Courtney, and I'm glad I did. But I want to tell you something. I was so angry. And I went to the Lord about it. And he corrected me. He gave me Psalm 15, 1 through 3, and he hit me right in the heart because what I want more than anything in, in the world is to live. Now, mind you, everyone loves Psalm 91, right? I did a whole six-week Bible study, wrote a Bible study, a journey through Psalm 91, looked up every Hebrew word, you name it. Still love it. Love Psalm 91, but guess what? That's an old covenant. Promise. And the new covenant, I can have Psalm 91 and a whole bunch more in the name of Jesus. But the prerequisite for Psalm 91 is to dwell in the shelter of the Most High God. And the Lord knows that. He knows how much that means to me. It's to live a life worth living in the shelter of the Most High God. So Psalm 15, the Holy Spirit spoke this to me. Who shall dwell in your tabernacle and who shall dwell on your holy hill? And then he tells who is going to live in the shelter of the Most High God. Verse 2, he who walks and lives uprightly, blamelessly, who works righteousness and speaks and thinks the truth in his heart, he does not slander with his tongue, nor do, does evil to a friend. And here you go, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor. Pow! The word divided my soul and spirit because I took up a reproach that she gave me so much trouble about naming, picking the name Joel. And she did have a boy named Joel. But you see, I had a heart issue. I took up a reproach. Now, so the word corrected me, Lord, I'm sorry. First John 1, 1, 9 says, if I confess my sins, what does confess means? It means to agree with or to say back. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And so I confessed it immediately, received my cleansing by the blood of Jesus, and I was free. So another example of correction. I uh, had somebody, nobody in this room, don't come ask me, it's not you. This again was years ago. This is why I'm picking past examples of somebody that was just very clingy to me. I mean like, you know, like my dog, Clingy. You know how when you have a dog that really just loves you, what do they do? They follow you everywhere you go. They don't leave your side. My mom sent me a, my mom inherited my sister's dog after she went to heaven and after my sister went to heaven. And, and uh, this dog is such a faithful dog. It's a doodle, some kind of doodle, golden doodle, I think. A chocolate golden doodle. Yeah. Or maybe a labradoodle. Or maybe a golden doodle, but it's a doodle. And... Um, <laughs> This dog, all through, throughout Kathy's sickness, this dog would just lay by her, would not leave her side. The morning she passed away, that dog was right, just stayed with her until they came and got her body. That's, I mean, dogs are so faithful. I love dogs. Love, love, love dogs. That's how my Winnie is too. And why was I telling you that? Oh, yeah, this person was like that. And I mean, just cling, 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 clingy to the point where I felt like I couldn't breathe. Anybody have anybody like that in your life? And I mean, you know, you might call that a high maintenance. And I was just starting to feel just yuck. 
it was bothering me. I, so I let the word be my corrector. Lord, I just ask you to correct me. And I heard a scripture I didn't even know I knew. And it was Romans 14, 4. And it says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. And the spirit of the living God just said this to me. Who are you to judge my servant? Oh, the word divided my soul and spirit. I received correction. That's for some of you today. You are no one to judge God's servant. And so I repented. So I'm just giving you examples. I could give you so many. See, I'm not, I'm not afraid to be real with you. I don't glow in the dark and neither do you. But you can let the word correct you and save yourself a lot of trouble. Or you can just let the circumstances and mud of life be your corrector and you end up getting embarrassed and feeling ashamed and getting hurt and, you know, all those things that, that you don't want. The fourth thing and the final thing I'll share with you is the Bible says that the word is profitable to train you. It's your personal trainer in righteousness. So it begins with being your instructor and ends with being your trainer. And training takes effort. You know, every time I've hired a personal trainer, they always look at, they'll look at my, I have really skinny arms. And they'll always look at my arms and go, well, you're going to be easy to train because it's going to show really fast. Of course, it makes them feel good. But it still takes work. Not a bad kind of work, but an effort on your part. And so if you let the word train you in what is righteousness, it is right being and right doing. Now I'm going to read Matthew 6, 33. Seek first of all his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. And then all these things taken together will be given you besides. When you do what? When you seek first his kingdom and his way of being and doing right. And that can involve some very practical things. I mean, I've already read to you where to clothe ourselves with love. I've already read to you where to let uh, bitterness and, and anger and resentment be banished from you. Those are all parts of the things we're being trained in. But there's practical things too where the Lord wants to train you in his way of being and doing right. Now in Matthew 6, now I'm going to tell you kind of a silly story. But in Matthew 6, it's all about provision. Consider the lilies of the field. They don't toil, they don't spin, and yet not Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. Shall not our Father do so for you? When I had no money, I trusted the Lord to clothe me, and I've always looked good. I've never had to come out in rags, ever, even when I had very, very little. And the same goes for you. You all look wonderful. Everybody here is dressed very nicely. But it also goes on to say, even with provision, with your, your physical needs, your food, your drink, our Father will do so for you. What he does for the birds of the air, if he feeds them, won't he feed you? So the whole chapter is on this. And then he says, but you... 
Just seek after my kingdom and my way of being and doing right and all the things you need, all your provision, your clothes, your food, your drink, it's going to be added to you. So, my, um, I didn't know this, but I do now. I knew it about my mom. And my mom would stand up here and tell you, my mother calls herself a pack rat. And I'll go to her house and I'll declutter and I'll go back and it's all back. <laughs> now, she's 91 and I doubt that I'm going to change her. But I cannot even describe to you how much stuff she has. Well, I found out that, that my sister followed after that gene pool. I'm talking, I think I told you this before, I mean, she had all these children's never opened toys, and I was, what is this? Oh, well, it's in case she needs a gift. And uh, saves, save bubble wrap, everything, bags. And I mean, it, it, well, her closet was so packed that when I was asked, do you want to go through it and take anything? I said, no. <laughs> Gave me a headache. It just... Just packed, 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 so much so that all of her clothes were given away and then a, a certain uh, charity organization that ministers to women came to the house to get the rest and they said, we don't have a truck big enough for this, we're going to have to come back. That's how much there was. It was just amazing. And that was fine. I mean, that's what she preferred. But what it made me want to do is get rid of everything. And I'm already a big get rid of everything person. So I have been, since her passing, she passed in February, I have been at least once a week I go through my house again. I found somebody that wears my size. I've given her clothes I still wear. I just don't want excess. I mean, you name it. I, I cannot begin to tell you the things I've given away. Basically, if I don't use it, I've given it away. And some things that I do use. I just don't want I don't want excess. You know why? And this is the truth. I'm going to tell you a secret for those of you who are pack rats. Do you know it's scientifically proven that when you unclutter things, it contributes to your mental health? Truth. I don't need all those things. So when I was growing up, my parents were on a very tight budget. And I had, I had honestly very little. And mom would go to the bargain stores. And she would flip through the clothes. And when she found the least expensive garment, she would hand it to me and say, try this. Now, she was just going according to her and dad's budget. But as a child, I just grew up thinking I wasn't worth anything. Now, that's not true. But that was, and you know, they both came out of World War II. They both, Daddy fought in World War II, and they went through the Great, the Great Depression. I don't know what we're in now, the Greater, I have no idea. But, <laughs> but I just developed that mentality that I wasn't worth much. So when I became an adult and I had children, and in those days, we didn't have the store they named after me and Randy Ross Dress for Less. They didn't have that yet. But the Ross Dress for Less, the TJ Maxx, and, and all those great places, they had Solo Serve. 
How many of you remember Solo Serve? Yeah. It was the original bargain store. When I would walk in there, rarely, I felt sick to my stomach. And I didn't know why for many years. It, because I, my friends would just get great buys there and just beautiful things. And I went in there, all I could see was junk. Because, see, I had that mindset. So, I, just, I told you all that to tell you I had been delivered. So, here's what happened. Here's what happened. So, I, I needed a particular item. And it was an item that I had been paying well over $100 for. Not going to tell you what it was. It just was an item. But I saw online that a certain store had what I needed. And I, it's a store I never go into. I can't stand it. I mean, to me, it's just a bunch of clutter. I hate clutter. Now, nobody's ever going to invite me over. I don't care if you're cluttered. I'm just telling you about me. And so, um, but I thought, well, I'm going to stop by the store on the way home one day, way home from church, and just find this item. So I go in, and they don't have the exact item, but they have something similar. And I look at it and touch it, and I think, you know, this is just probably junk. But it looked fine, looked like what I needed, felt like what I needed. And all of a sudden, I looked at the price, and it was $2.99. And I thought, I'm going to buy a bunch of this. <laughs> because if it lasts a month, it was $2.99. And so I did. Now, that for me was deliverance. But you know what? Here's what I've learned. It's time to deal with the three layers that keep us in bondage. Unhealed hurts, unresolved issues, and unmet needs. And if you'll deal with those three areas by your teacher, the Holy Spirit, unhealed hurts, unmet needs, and unresolved issues, you will live a life worth living. The Word of God will be your personal trainer. The Word of God will instruct you. The Word of God will correct you. The Word of God will reprove you if you need it. Revelation 2, 4, and 5, I have this one charge against you. You have left your first love. Remember then from what heights you have fallen. Repent. Change the inner man to meet God's will and do the works you did at first when you first knew the Lord. Or else I will visit you and remove your lampstand. Now I'm going to tell you something. I take that very seriously. When I first knew the Lord... I would every single day, this is before post-it notes and all that, I would pray and I would get one scripture and I would write it down and I would just keep that word before my eyes, going in my ears, storing it in my heart, speaking out of my mouth. And that was almost 50 years ago and I still do it today. Remember what you did at first when you first knew the Lord. Do it again. Do it again. Let the Lord be your trainer. Let the word of God correct you. I'm telling you, you will find what caused that unhealed hurt. You'll be able to let him meet those unmet needs. And through the word, you'll resolve every issue in Jesus' name. And you'll have healthy, God-ordained boundaries in your life. Amen? So, Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. It is truth. It is life. It is health to all of our flesh. 
And I ask you through the power of the teacher, the Holy Spirit, to show us and increase our revelation that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened to know how to allow the word of God to instruct us and train us and reprove us and correct us, that we will be thoroughly equipped for everything you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting chosenessay.com. Be sure to follow us at Chosen Essay on Facebook and Instagram.